Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 18, and uh, we'll get to those verses in just a moment. We'll look at the first five verses. But I think when we think about this topic of forgiveness, you have to start where, again, where Jesus does, which is the foundation of forgiveness. And I think a lot of times we get, we get upset about things because we believe, and usually it's pretty strongly we believe, that we deserve something. Now, at our house... If Fox News is on, on television, it's because Vanessa turned it on. She likes to watch the Fox News. And, uh, and it just, I don't know why, and, and by the way, it's not just Fox News. I mean, all of them, to be honest with you, do this to me. Definitely, definitely they do. They irritate me to no end. I don't know why. they just a fussing and a feuding. You just listen to them. Why in the world are they doing this? What about this? And what about that? I just, ah, I just hush all of them what it makes me want to do. I, just, I can't stand to listen to them. But, but the reason they're having these discussions, and some of them pretty vehement, violent conversations, like, oh, it's because somebody somewhere thought they deserved something. Now, we could argue that they do or they don't. I mean, and that's what they're doing, right? They're arguing that they do and that they don't. They're arguing that. But they believe that somebody somewhere owes somebody something. We believe we're deserving. And again, I could, I could plug in um, any topic and there would be one side thinking one side deserves this and the other side thought they deserved this. That's how it works. And we have to start by beginning to understand, start with the beginning of the understanding that Christianity means you say, I don't deserve anything. In fact, if I deserve anything, it's actually what I don't want, which is punishment. So you have to start from this basis of understanding that Christianity, it really isn't about you. And you say, well, well Matthew, I, I'm going to heaven. Well, yeah, of course. We know that the gift of, uh, gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You get eternal life in heaven, absolutely. You do benefit from what Jesus did. You win. You get forgiveness. You get eternal life. You get that because of what Jesus did. But it's not about you and what you did. In fact, if we were to turn the focus of Christianity to, to you and what you did, do you know what's going to happen? Right here, right now, the bottom's going to fall out and we will all, find the next breath will be in the pit of hell. Because that's what, if it's about you, if it's about me, that's where we're going to go. So it's not about us. And if, if we were to do that, we would, be, we would be in damnation. In fact, I would say that hell is full of people tonight who made their entire lives about themselves. That's why, in part at least, why they're there because they said my life is about what i want i want what i want and i'm going to pursue it no matter what as my daddy used to say or still says as he hair lips every cow in texas that's what they're going to do that's how they're going to see it so as we look through this journey we walk through this journey in matthew chapter 18 i would encourage you over the next week or so just to take some time and read this chapter. We're just looking at one chapter, so it's very contained. You can spend some time, maybe even study it on your own a little bit. I would encourage you to do that. But as we walk through this and try to understand Jesus' theology and his practice of forgiveness, 
You have to start where he does. And you know what he starts with? He says, I need you to take a look at yourself first. So the foundation of forgiveness is actually making sure that you're where you're supposed to be. If you want to put in the blank, the words that I have in the blank underneath the foundation of forgiveness, it's being a little one in the shepherd's fold. Being a little one in the shepherd's fold. That's the language Jesus uses, being a little one, a little child in the fold of the shepherd. That's what he's saying that you need to do. So we need to, we need to start with this foundation of forgiveness, and we need to check ourselves. Now, just to go to the passage for a minute, look at what he says in verse, look what happens in verse 1. You've got these disciples, and they're discussing something. It says, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're sitting there having a conversation about who's better than the other ones. Now, what, one of the things you've got to understand is they're not just having this out of the clear blue sky. This passage happens to, happens to happen not long after what we talked about this morning. You remember what we talked about this morning? The transfiguration. Do you remember who went with Jesus to the transfiguration? It wasn't all the disciples. There was three of them. Peter, John, and uh, James. Peter, James, and John. Those three men. And it seems, if you go back to the, the, the transfiguration, at least the passage we read this morning, it looks like Jesus said, hey, you three, you come with me. Now, now, who do you think looks like their teacher's pet? Who do you think looks like they're special? And if I'm not Peter, James, or John, I'm saying, huh, I bet he thinks he's something. And interestingly, add to that, you remember now when the transfigure, after the transfiguration, they come down from the mountain, and Jesus comes into this discussion. We'll talk about this next Sunday morning. He comes into a discussion, and there's this man there, and he's got a boy that has a demon, and the disciples couldn't heal him. They couldn't get the demon out. They couldn't do it. And if you go to chapter 17 and look at verse 16, the man says to Jesus very plainly, hey, these guys couldn't help me. I need some help. You're going to have to fix what your boys can't fix. So they already got, I mean, they were already down because Peter, James, and John got picked. They didn't. And then they try to do what they're supposed to do, and man, they can't do it. Oh my goodness, we must not be all that special in the kingdom of God. And then if you go to chapter 17 and verse 24, just a few verses later, there's somebody that comes into the disciples, and they ask, of all people, they ask Peter a question. They don't ask anybody else. They say, hey, Peter, we need you to tell us what we're supposed to do. I can only imagine that just had to add fuel to fire. And don't, don't miss this either. I think that Peter might have gotten a little big head on it. I, I know I would have. Jesus invited me to the top of the mountain. Them boys can't get anything right while we're gone. And when I come back, they're asking me questions. I'm somebody. Can, could you imagine that? I mean, y'all don't have to say amen at all, but I know at least one or two of y'all have that same attitude sometimes when something like that happens. Like, oh, I'm something special. So they're all sitting there worried about who's on top, who's the greatest, who's the most important one. And it's easy to do. If you were to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in the first, I think it's seven verses there, Paul has this problem. Jesus gives him a vision, and he gets something, and he's got special information from heaven. He's got revelation from God. And Paul says, you know, God had to humble me a little bit. I had to be humbled a little bit. So it's not uncommon, and that's where these disciples are. But Jesus takes their question, and they're asking who's the greatest, and he takes their question. I want you to see how he answers it. Go to verse 2. He calls a little child unto him. Now, now some people suggest, and I think this is probably right, they're probably in Peter's house, and so this might have been one of Peter's children. I think, that, I think it, it's 
a little speculation, but I think that's interesting to think about. It could be Peter's uh, child that he calls over. So he says he calls this little child over. So he calls him over and set him, the child, in the midst of them. So he's got this little kid. I want you to think about, you know, one of our, one of our children, you know, like probably I'm thinking about like Jacob's age is kind of what's in my head, you know, that, that age, you know, just, just like kindergarten, first grade kind of kid. Maybe it's older, maybe it's younger, I don't know, but that's my, I'm speculating. So that's, that's what I'm imagining. He says, come on over here, youngin. Comes over there, stands in the middle of them, and he says in verse 3, this is what Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, you see this child here? Until you become like this little child, you're not even going to heaven. He's saying, boys, y'all are sitting there talking about who's the greatest. You're asking the wrong question. You need to be asking whether you're even getting into heaven or not. You're asking who's the greatest in the kingdom? Are you sure you're even in the kingdom of heaven? That's the bigger question. Are you even there? He says, if you're not converted, he says. And the word he uses there is what you think converted is, changed, transformed. It's you're actually turned around. He said, boys, y'all are sitting there trying to figure out who's the greatest. You've got to turn around. You're in the wrong direction on this thing. You've got to be turned from that. Repent from your way of thinking and go in a different direction. He says, if you're not converted, you're not even going to be in the kingdom. He's not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Forget being the greatest. You're not even in there. And he says, not only to be converted, but and become as little children. Now, I want y'all to think with me because this is what Jesus is doing. He's using this child as an illustration for, pur- for his purposes. And I don't think that, that we can miss this or excuse me, that we can gloss over this we got to think about this for a minute. You've got a little child here. And again, I, 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 my mind, I'm envisioning a younger child, not a teenager, but a younger child in particular, because I know in my experience, when you have younger children, even though they might be able to you know, go to the bathroom by themselves, feed themselves and things like that, pretty much everything they're doing, mom or daddy needs to help them do it. I, I can't imagine that that child, even though he might be self-willed and even smart, Does that child have any ability to procure for himself what he needs? He needs some new clothes. Got holes in his pants, like all children that age. Got holes in his pants and needs new pants. How's he going to get new pants? He's going to get in the car and head down to the Walmart and get him some new pants? No, he needs somebody to do that for him. Jude's 11 years old, and he's hungry. I know he's capable of opening a refrigerator or a cabinet door, well, goodness gracious, Harrison is 20-something years old. He's capable of opening a refrigerator and a cabinet. But both of them, Mama, what are we going to eat for supper? What are we going to eat? And they're looking for Mama to fix it. But the point is, what is that little child? What does he, what does he need? He needs, he's dependent on somebody else to provide for him. Do you see that? He can't do it by himself. So this, this idea is not simply a new outlook or a new attitude. He's, he's actually saying, he's not saying, excuse me, he's not saying, I want you to think like a child. He's not saying that, because I think we can think like a child. Some of us are very childish in our, in our minds, so that's not, that's not what he means. He's not saying think like a child. He's saying actually be like a child. Be completely dependent on someone else for your livelihood, for your well-being, for your future, for your hope. I mean, a child at that age, when they're, you know, seven, eight, six, somewhere in that, that range, 
I mean, they might have hopes and dreams in the future, but I can't even, when I was that age, I couldn't imagine the future that didn't involve my parents and my grandparents. I mean, that's my world. Do you understand that? I mean, I know some of y'all are old, but you can get your mind wrapped around this a little bit, can't you? Come on, can't you do it? Beverly, you can do it, right? (laughs) Y'all can get your mind there where you just can't even figure out. I mean, how am I going to go to school and not have mama there? That's not a possibility. I've got to have them there. That's the way that world works. He's saying, you quit asking the question, who's the greatest? You need to start asking, are you even saved? Are you even in the kingdom? Because if you are, that means your mind is different. You're thinking in a different way. That means your reality is different. You're dependent completely on God. You are not sitting there saying, how can I accomplish what great things? What can I do to be the greatest? No, you're saying... I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) I'm just happy that God actually will hear my prayer. I'm just happy that God loves me. That's the attitude we ought to have. So the first step, if we want to get into this whole thing of forgiveness, we want to actually do that. The first step is examining ourselves. Before ever demanding forgiveness, before ever expecting forgiveness, which unfortunately that's where we want to jump. Somebody needs to forgive me. I was wrong, and you know it, and I need people to forgive me. Or somebody messed up, and they they need to ask me for forgiveness. That's where we want to immediately jump. And I'm I'm not denying that those are important steps to take, either to ask for forgiveness or to give forgiveness. Those are important steps. But you can't jump there. You've got to start where Jesus does. Are you even saved? Before you assume you have any kind of role, any rights, or any standing, you need to ask the question, am I one of, as he calls them here, a little child, a little one? Am I one of God's little ones? If you do not have that level of humility, I'll just go ahead and tell you, you're not saved. You say, well, I prayed a prayer. Well, if you prayed a prayer and you were dependent on anything other than Jesus, that prayer got as far as your breath. If you prayed a prayer and you were looking for anything other than Christ alone to save you, that prayer did no good for you. That prayer doesn't save you. It is Jesus who saves you. And you only have access to Christ through humility. You have to see yourself, as he says, as a little child. Now he goes on to say in verse 4, Whosoever therefore, whosoever therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now look at there. You want to know how to be great? He says, well, first of all, you're asking the wrong question. You need to make sure you're saved. He says, now if you are saved and you are humble within that, you continue to be humble. He says, that's where greatness comes from. I can use people who are humble is what he's saying. It's only the converted, only those that think differently, only the childlike, those that are fully dependent. Only those are in the kingdom, only they will ever be great. As James writes, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So the first thing is you've got to examine yourself, but then the next step is you've got to wait on the Lord. That's hard to do. Even if you're humble, that's hard to do. Because you want to get things done, I want to get it in gear. Remember, we're talking about forgiveness here. I immediately want people to forgive me, or I immediately want to figure out how do I forgive this person, or how do I get an excuse not to forgive this person, whatever the situation is. But he says, hang on a minute, you've got to start from the beginning. Are you saved? 
Okay, you can answer, yes, you are. Well, then you need to wait on the Lord. To accomplish anything for the Lord, you're going to have to have some standing. You're going to have to have some position. You say, well, how do I get that? I want to be, I want, I want the position. I want that. Well, God's the one that gives you that. He's the one. You, you can't earn it yourself. You have to do that yourself. You to, see, see, Christianity is this sort of upside-down and backwards world. You've got to understand that to begin with. You, if you're a Christian, it's not, it doesn't follow the logic of the world. Christianity follows the logic of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, the first, or rather the last shall be first, and the first last. Now, I don't know where y'all went to school, but where I went to school, the first were first, and the last were last. But Jesus said, no, that's not how I'm going to work. My kingdom's different than that. The one who says, I am last, I must decrease, that's the one I'm going to use. In fact, that's, remember John the Baptist? He said, I must decrease and he must increase. And Jesus said of John the Baptist, he was the greatest man ever born a woman. See how that works? Upside down and backwards. That's how God's world is. It's why we have to be converted. <clears throat> See, that's why, you remember Romans chapter 12, I love that verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 where it says not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Because what our natural inclination, because we all live in this world. Don't, I live in this world. I hope you all live in this world. If you don't live in this world, I don't know where you live. We live in this world. We're influenced, are we not? Our minds and our hearts are influenced by all the stuff going around. I talked about Fox News just a minute ago. Yeah, I'm sure you're influenced by one of those news stations, the newspapers. And if not, you're not, if you're not influenced by that, you're at least influenced by friends who talk about it. So you're influenced one way or the other, whether you like it or not. We're all influenced by it. And you know what our natural inclination is? Is to pick a side. We're this way. This is my way of viewing. That's how I see the world. And the Bible says, no, no, it's not about that side or this side, the right, the left, the upside down, whatever. It's not about any of those things. It's about being con not conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. He needs to come in and transform you. You see, you need to be converted. You have to think differently depending on God to exalt you. Because again, I was always taught, how are you going to get something done in this world? How are you going to succeed? You pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you work hard. That's what I've been taught. Y'all been taught the same thing, I imagine. And that, don't get me wrong, I believe the Bible's all about hard work, but in terms of accomplishing something, in terms of being quote-unquote great, having a position, humble yourselves in the sight of, of the Lord and He shall lift you up. That's hard doing there. It's hard to do. So if I'm wanting this idea of forgiveness, I want to proceed towards forgiveness, I better make sure I'm in the kingdom, I'm saved, then I better sit down and wait on the Lord. I'm going to depend on Him. I'm not going to seek revenge or I'm not going to grab what I think I deserve. I'm going to wait on the Father to put me in the position. He is going to be the one who gives me, if I want to put it in these terms, success. He's the one that accomplishes that. Now, look at what he says in verse 5. And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name receiveth me. Now, now, one of the things he does is he kind of switches his metaphor around here. Pay attention to what he's doing. In verse 3 and in verse 4, he is talking about, if you will, you can put yourself in the shoes of the little child. Are you one of the little ones? But look in verse 5. He says, and whoso shall receive one such little one. So now you can almost think about, now I'm on the outside looking in on this little one. This is one of, one of Christ's ones here, and I'm going to look in on them. So essentially, he's switching it around. You've got to think about yourself. You've got to think about, examine your heart. Are you, are you saved? Are you in? 
Are you dependent on God? Are you waiting on the Lord? But now what about how are you going to treat other people? That's how you're looking at it. How are you going to treat other people? And he says there that in verse 5, you need to receive one such little one. You need to receive them, accept them, embrace them, bring them in, accept them, welcome them, accept other people. Because when you welcome, when you accept other people, do you know who you're welcoming and accepting? You're accepting Jesus Christ. That's what he says there. Look what he says. Whoso receiveth such a little one in my name receiveth me. If I'm accepting, if I'm loving you, do you know who I'm actually loving? By extension, I'm loving Christ himself. That's what he says. So there is this idea of an attitude of humility, which is what he talks about in the first four verses, but verse 5 is now showing humility in practice. This is what it looks like. Humility is showing love in spite of what you think that person deserves. This is the problem. This is where it gets, this is where it gets real uncomfortable, and I'll, I even want to. I'm trying to preach it to you as plain as I can. I want to dance around it, but I'm just going to tell you the way Jesus is telling it to you. He's not giving any hitches, any hesitations, any caveats here. He's saying, I don't care what you think they deserve. I don't think, I'm not even talking about how they treated you. That's, he's not giving anything or there about that. You're to accept them. You're to see them as little ones, little children, for whom Christ died. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you, yes, but for them too. Do you understand that? He didn't just die for you. This is the way we see the world. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Now, would you go ahead and strike them dead, please? That's, this is how we see the world, is it not? Ain't that terrible, but it's true. I, it's all about me. But no, 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 Jesus says, no, no. You need to receive little ones, because when you receive them, you're receiving me. See, this is really the foundation of forgiveness. It really kind of goes that deep. If you're not a Christian, you can't really forgive. Can you, can you overlook a, a, a fault? Of course, we've, we, everybody can do that to some extent. Oh, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. We've all done something like that, right? But I'm talking about true forgiveness. I'm talking about the kind of forgiveness that you had, you had to think about it because it hurts you, really hurts you. You can't do that truly if you are not a Christian. You might, you might say you forgive them, but you're going to have resentment. You're going to have all this stuff in your heart. And, and I would say even some Christians don't actually enjoy forgiveness because they're not forgiving as a Christian. They're forgiving as a, in their flesh, if you will. That's how they're forgiving. That's how we often do. But I want you to understand that the foundation of this is you've got to be saved, first of all. And then once you're saved, even then, you have to be making sure you're going through this life completely dependent on God. And then, once you're there, then you have to start seeing everybody around me is a child for whom Christ died. Now, I know they're not all Christians. I understand that. But the point is that they are all people for whom Christ died. And once I've done that, I'm not starting to think about first how do I get what I deserve? How do I give what's deserved? That's, that's the flesh talking right there. I want to give you what you deserve. I want to get back at you. I want, to, I, want to, I want to show you how you hurt me. Or even, you know, the more sanctimonious version of it, I want to show you how much of a high road I can take. That's what we try to do. But that's not how this works. We are now acknowledging that person is a little one under the care of the Savior. 
I'm fully changed. I'm fully dependent on His grace and mercy. I'm only going to be anything, exalted, great, whatever word you want to use, I'm only going to be anything when Christ does it, so I'm going to stand ready to receive other people. Now, in conclusion, again, there's so much more about forgiveness we've got to talk about, but I can't cover it all, so let me just give you a couple little closing notes on this. None of what I'm saying should ever suggest that we overlook something that's done to us. Christ gets into addressing sin. How do we handle that? It's all handled in this, in this passage. We'll get to it. It doesn't say ignore the damage of sin, because I think sometimes you can take this sort of this, this love motif that I just talked to you about and say, well, I know they murdered somebody, but they're going to be my best friend now. That might not be the most wise thing to do, you understand. You might need to tell the tell the law enforcement that there's a murderer loose and you might want to handle that. There's, I'm being extreme to make the point that we, we're not to overlook the damage of sin. We're not to try to enable habitual offenders. Unfortunately, churches are very, very, very uh, guilty of doing this. In the name of forgiveness, they actually enable the sin of people to continue in our churches. We're actually going to get to this. It convicts me when I think about it, even within our church, how we need to handle some things. I want to make sure that we are obeying our Christ on this. It does mean, it does, it doesn't mean those things I just said, but what it does mean is that for any, and I would underscore, if you're writing this down, you can underscore this, put it all capital letters, any wrong, every wrong that's done against you, you have to start from the foundation, who are you in Christ. If you start from a foundation of what I deserve, who, how good I am, or how bad you are, if I start from any of those foundations, I'm going to get my forgiveness all kinds of upside down and backwards. But if I start from the fact of who am I in Jesus Christ, that's where it all starts. Because forgiveness is really the linchpin of Christianity. You take forgiveness away, we don't have Christianity. You take forgiveness away, I'm going to hell. If you take forgiveness away, I have nothing to sing about. But if you give me forgiveness, as Jesus Christ did, it is well with my soul. Do you understand that? If I have forgiveness, I have everything. You take forgiveness from me, I have nothing. But let me go further and say, when, you give me, when Christ gives me forgiveness, as he's done, do you know what comes with that? Responsibility. For whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. You've been forgiven a lot. I don't care who you are, you've been forgiven a lot. You were, you were transformed from someone who deserved, not, not that you were making a wrong turn on the wrong street on the wrong side of town and oops, I ended up in hell. No, 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 you deserved to go to hell. God would have been just. He would have been right. In fact, his justice and his righteousness is in jeopardy if he doesn't send you to hell. Yet he provided through the blood of Jesus Christ a way for your sins not only to be paid for, wiped off and clean, but to even give you righteousness. Do you understand that if you're a Christian, you're walking away not only with no sin debt, but you have a positive good balance not because you're so good, but because Jesus was so right. 
He did all of that for you. And you want to say somebody owes you something? I don't think so. If anything, <laughs> we owe a debt, as they say, we could never pay. Thank God that Jesus paid it for us. Again, this is not something that has easy answers. It's a difficult topic. I know that. There's very real hurt, even in this church, even with the folks that are here. Very real hurt. People have hurt you in very tangible ways. You could probably point to the numbers in a bank account or the, the doctor's visits you've had to go to or the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the counseling sessions that you've had to endure because of that hurt. I understand that this is very tangible hurt. But this is where Jesus starts the conversation on this topic. And we're going to pursue it as far as we can. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.